Amen. We're so thankful for our fathers today. If you are a dad and you could just stand for a moment this morning, let us recognize you. All you guys stand, let's give them a hand. I see them. Fantastic. Thank you, men. Thank you for being godly fathers. We appreciate that. And I am thinking today about my own father who's with the Lord and and what all he taught me. Hey, I want you all to see something before we go any further. Carol, Kim, look how we're dressed today. (laughs) It's almost like we planned it, but but we really didn't. We just showed up this way and I said... It's, it's a rose between two thorns. And Carol said it was more like bologna between two pieces of bread. And I told Miss Eva Brooks that earlier, and she told me how much truth there probably was to her statement. So thank you for that, Miss Eva. Let's stand together. We're going to sing What a Friend this morning as we begin. Obviously.
Please remain standing for the reading of the Word of God. Please uh, to, uh, turn with me. We're going to be in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfishness, ambition, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out not only for one's own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven 
and those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to, to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the days of Christ, that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason that you also be glad and rejoice with me. May God bless the reading of his word. Several weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting my dad, my brother, and my nephew in Atlanta. And uh, we were able to watch a Braves game. The picture that you see here above was pictures from our seat. And uh, we were able to spend time together there in Atlanta. And it was my brother, my dad, my nephew, and then myself. And if you can imagine three men trying to keep a straight face as we told him the most outlandish stories we could possibly tell him. And he's nine years old now, and he's getting harder to trick. But throughout his lifetime, uh, we have caught the biggest fish, we've been the greatest athletes, and we've done everything short of saving the world. So he's believed half of it. So we're doing pretty good. And uh, my grand, my uh, dad, a couple of weeks ago, uh, took him fishing, and Carson, my nephew's name is Carson, he looked at him and he said, Papa, how'd you get to be such a good fisherman? And of course, my dad said, it's just practice, son, it's just practice. So like I said, he's believed half of it. I know that as I get older, I realize that those moments, those times of fellowship that I should look at those things and I should value those times that I get to spend with my dad. I know that that night wasn't a very good night for the Braves. Unfortunately, they lost, but it was a good night for us because we got to spend time together as a family. I'd like to say happy Father's Day to the fathers that are here today. And I'd like to encourage you that if you have a a father and he's still he's still around he's still uh, within a phone call away or maybe you could go over to his house this afternoon I'd like to encourage you to tell him that you love him and appreciate him and you may be here this morning you say well I didn't have very much of a relationship with my dad or or I didn't have him as a part of my life as I grew up and maybe that's something that that you you feel like you had to do without as you approach a day like Father's Day. Maybe this message today means even more to you because of the importance of finding family here at church. And I hope this message will touch your heart in that way. And maybe you're here today and your father has already gone on. Well, I'm sure 
that many of you can remember times like I got to spend with my dad several weeks ago, and I would encourage you to remember those and treasure those. As we look at the book of Philippians this morning, one of the key themes in the book of Philippians as Paul approaches the, the people there at Philippi is unity. And in the first chapter of Philippians, we see that he uses the Greek word for the word fellowship six different times. As he writes the people here in Philippi, I want you to realize that in Acts, I believe it's in Acts 17, when he has this vision of someone in Macedonia that is calling him over to Macedonia, the Apostle Paul has to uh, make a change of plans and he goes to Macedonia and as he gets to Philippi and Philippi is named after the father Philip of Alexander the Great. And when he gets there, it's predominantly a city of Greeks or Gentiles. And we know that he wasn't able to approach Philippi the way that he was able to approach other cities. He didn't go directly or immediately to the, uh, the synagogue as he normally did, but he found some ladies, he found some women down by the water, and he realized that the man that he had seen in that vision was not necessarily a man, but it was a woman, and her name was Lydia. And the Apostle Paul was able to build a friendship and have fellowship with those people. And when he writes here, the book of Philippians, he's writing from prison. And he passes over using his formal titles as he does in many of his other epistles. And he simply refers to himself as a servant. And he speaks of the fellowship that he's had with them. And he encourages that they have fellowship one with another. But unfortunately, as he writes this, he acknowledges that there has been division within the people, within the church of Philippi. There are several key things that he addresses in the book, and the, one of them being unity, as I said. And, and he addresses these divisions between believers. He also points out and warns about false prophets. And in this first chapter here, he begins to call them to unity. You know, as we read through the New Testament, one commentator said, there are no letters in the New Testament apart from problems of the church. See, the reality is is that unity is something that's hard. Unity is something that's difficult to maintain. In January of this year, the inaugural speech or the inauguration speech of Joseph Biden, the theme of that speech was unity. He used the word unity eight different times in his speech. Now, if I were to ask you to raise your hand today at whether or not you thought that he has accomplished unity since he's been a president, I doubt very few of our hands would go up. But it just shows forth the truth that unity is something hard. And that division is something that's much easier. 
As we look here in Scripture, I want to look at what Paul is talking about when he talks about this unity. The first thing that I want to see, we see in verse number 1 of chapter 2, it begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, that means it's making a connection to what's being said previous to that statement. So we're going to go back to the first chapter, at the end of the first chapter, And we're going to see that the first thing that the Apostle Paul says about unity is he says the reason for unity is the gospel. In verse number 27, we see whatever happens. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says whatever happens because he's just talked about whether or not he's going to die or continue to live. He's going to either go on to be with the Lord or he's going to be there to minister to them. And he's in prison and he doesn't know what his future holds. But as he be- begins to grasp a hold of that and begins this call of unity, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The reason why we as Christians should unify, the only reason why we are unified this morning is because of the gospel. The Apostle Paul refers to the gospel seven different times in the first chapter as he addresses the people there in, in Philippi in verse number five. He says he refers to their partnership in the gospel. In verse number seven, he speaks of defending and confirming the gospel. In verse number 12, he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In verse number 14, he says, dare all the more to proclaim the gospel. In verse number 16, it says, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the last two times we just read in those few verses that we just read. The truth is, is the reason why that we're here this morning united in this one place is because of the gospel. We may have nothing else in common this morning, but what we do have in common is Christ. The same Christ that I have living within me, the same Holy Spirit of God that I have living within me. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have living Within you. There have been a lot of people unify a lot of around a lot of things throughout the history of time. But we as Christians should unify around the gospel. As the Apostle Paul talks about this in verse number 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He immediately recognizes that there's going to be opposition to this unity He immediately recognizes that if they strive together for the faith of the gospel, they already have opposition. As I said before, unity is something that's very difficult to maintain. And the truth is that there are people that are going to oppose it. We are living in a time where people openly oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are people of, as the book of Acts calls us, we are people of the way. And the reality is, is that we stand up and we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And people oppose that and they dislike that. As he continues here in this passage of Scripture, he says, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that, and that 
by God. The reality is, is that we should unite and strive together for the gospel. And when we do that, other people will see that as a sign. They will realize, hey, look, they are going to be destroyed. We will be the ones that will be victorious. In verse number 29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. He tells us here, he tells these Philippians here, he says, you know what? You've been called to believe in Him. But you've also been called to suffer for Him. I've had countless conversations, it seems like over the past year, with the things that have gone on in our nation and the things that we seem to see coming to the surface in our nation. That opposition that is like never before, it seems like here in our own country. And the truth is, we've been called to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Here in the United States, we've been blessed with living in a country that has freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And those were things that were very essential and foundational to our country. But the truth is, is those things, as we move further and further into time, I believe that we will have to suffer more and more for the sake of the gospel. And the reality is, is that as we've looked around the world and we've seen others suffer, The truth is, is that we may now have to suffer. But it's extremely important for you and I to be united around the gospel. It's the reason for unity. Number two, in chapter number two, as we come to the chapter that we're going to mainly look at this morning, we see the conduct that cultivates unity is humility. In verse number 1, there's so much that we could look at in this passage of Scripture. I'm not going to look at all of it. I'm not going to dwell on everything this morning. But he immediately begins this chapter by talking about what should motivate unity within us. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, If any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, hey, look, He just told them, you are going to suffer. You've been called to suffer because of the Gospel. And then he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, he says, hey, look, but he uses the word if here and he uses the word if over and over again. But it's not a question. He's more so making a statement. He's saying, look, you can be encouraged. You should be encouraged by the fact that you are united with Christ and in Christ. And the truth is, is that no matter what opposition, no matter what suffering comes about, because we are uniting around the gospel of Christ, we should be encouraged because of the fact that we are united with Christ. And then he says after that, he says, if any comfort from his love, you know what? I am so comforted when I look at the word of God and I realize that I have the love of Christ. When I read Romans chapter number 8 and I realize that nothing can separate me from the love 
of God. As a Christian, we talked about this morning, I talked to the young people and I said, look, we all go through tests. We all go through trials. But the reality is, as I've heard one older pastor say, he said, certainty is the hallmark of the Christian life. We know that no matter what happens, God loves us. And he says, hey, this should motivate you. As you look at this passage here in these verses, he tells them, he says, then make in verse number two, then make my joy complete. The Apostle Paul says, hey, look, we've had this fellowship. We love each other. He said, if you want to make my joy complete, he said, if you want to make me happy. Now, part of the reason why he wrote this book was to thank them for the gift in which they'd sent him. And he says, but if you really want to make me happy. He tells them, be of like mind. We are in our vision series and that's what we're going through throughout this month. And the truth is, the reason why we have a vision, the reason why we have a mission statement. And here at Poplar Springs Baptist Church, our mission is to make disciples that connect upward, connect inward and connect outward. Last week, Pastor Dale looked at that connecting inward in John 4. And he looked at true worship. And today we're looking at true unity. And the reality is, is the very reason why we have a mission statement, the very reason why we have a vision statement, is because we want to be of like mind. I'll never forget playing uh, football. And there were some long days where we would do these drills where we'd come up to... Um, we'd come up to what was the line of scrimmage. We had to go the whole length of the field and back. So it was 100 yards. And every time we had to line up on the line and the coach would call out whatever the count was supposed to be. And then the quarterback would say the count and the center would have the ball and he'd snap the ball on the count. Now we would have to line up across the line of scrimmage and all go on the, at the same time. Now, if we did it right, we got to go 10 yards down the field. We fired off the ball. But if we didn't, we had to back, we had to, first of all, sprint, which was real fun. And then we had to go back to the beginning. Y'all do not know how many times we had to sprint over and over. I remember it'd be the last thing we'd do in practice. And I just wanted to go home. And we are men. Now, these aren't teenagers. These are men. There were men out there getting close to retirement. They were almost 40 years old. And we're out there and we couldn't do this. Y'all, I'd I'd be sitting there, I'd be thinking, what is the problem? What the coach was trying to do. And you didn't want to be the guy that fired off at the wrong time. Because if you were that guy, man, everybody was like, man, what are you doing? We don't want to keep running. Right? But what he was trying to do is, is he wanted us, and when we approached that line, when we lined up, we needed to be of the same mind. And we needed to move at the same time. And the reality is, as people of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, as being a part of this fellowship, we should be of the same mind. And our vision and our mission should direct us. The other things that he says here in verse number three, it says, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, 
but each of you to the interest of others. He says that we should value others above ourselves. That requires humility. I read this past week a story of a church, a certain church in Dallas that had become divided and there was a rift between them. They were so bitter, each side was so bitter at the other that they uh, instituted a lawsuit seeking to dispose the other from the church's property. So one group was trying to kick the other group off of the church property so they bring a lawsuit against those, the other group. Wisely, now that's obviously, they hadn't read 1 Corinthians 6 because you're not supposed to do that, but they did that. And the story, of course, hit the Dallas newspaper and garnered considerable interest from the readers. The judge wisely ruled that it was not the province of the court to decide such matters until the case had been heard before the denomination's church court. So the dispute was remanded to the ecclesiastical court where eventually the decision was made to award the real estate and properties to one side. The losers withdrew and formed another church nearby. It seems like that's the way of American church growth. That's how we many times end up planting churches. It, it was reported in Dallas newspapers, no doubt with some delight, that the church court had traced the trouble to its source. Now here was the source of all of this trouble, okay? The trouble began when, at a church dinner, an elder had been served a smaller slice of ham than a child seated next to him. So if you're the church hostess, make sure the elders receive their portions, okay? Or you may end up before Judge Judy, all right? But the reality is, is that seems comical, and that's something that is, that's funny. And we're, we're like, hey, look, I can't believe that happened over a piece of ham, you know? And I like ham as much as the next guy, but I mean, that's a little too far, you know? But the reality is, is that it may seem funny, but the truth is, is we could, we could sit and we could share stories of different fellowships, of different churches splitting over one thing or the other. And they look back at it now and they say, what, what, what was that all about? Well, you know what? There was no humility. There was no preferring others over yourself. That's why that happened. That's why that unity was lost. Here the Apostle Paul says in verse number 5, if your relationships with one another, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He tells them here, he says, you should have the same mindset. He said, the very gospel in which you're supposed to unite around is about Christ. And that Christ was a perfect example to you and I. And we should have the same mindset that He has. In this passage of Scripture here, you'll see in your Bible how these next verses are kind of offset. They're kind of written, put down a little bit different than the rest of the verses in the chapter and all surrounding it. That's because most commentators believe that this is an ancient hymn about Christ. 
And for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul decided to include that right here to give a perfect example of how we should act. In verse number six, it says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh? Have you ever read through the gospel records and you see individuals that come to confront Jesus and they're giving him all this trouble? And the Bible says here that he decided not to use the fact that he was God in the flesh to his own advantage. You know what? I could see myself as some Pharisee is standing here and he's making accusations of me. It wouldn't take me long to use that to my advantage that I was God. He wouldn't last very long. Let's just put it that way. But Jesus, in his humility, he said, hey, look, he didn't use his own power and his own being, who he was, to his advantage. In verse number seven, it says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Jesus was a servant. The word servant here is the very same word that the Apostle Paul had used at the beginning of the letter. He had said, I am a servant. You know, there are so many books on leadership. There's not a lot on servanthood. And the reality is, is that we are called to be servants. The truth is, is that we must have humility. We have our likes and our dislikes. You know, when we come together, when a group of people come together like this, the truth is, is that if you have more than one person in the room, the likelihood is, is you have more than one opinion. That's just the truth of the matter. If you talked long enough, you guys would have a differing of opinion on some subject. The truth is, is that when we come in here and I've I've told, I'm pretty sure I've told Scott this before. I don't envy his job because he has to come in here and we sing together. And guess what? There's some music that you like that somebody else doesn't like. I happen to know that there are songs that Scott has led while being here that he himself didn't really like. Is that right? Have you ever done that? There's been Sundays where he's come in. You know why he did that? Because he's a servant. And he's humbling himself. And he's saying, you know what? My brother or my sister likes this. And guess what? This puts them in a place to where they can worship. They can connect upward with our God. There are songs that when we come together, it doesn't necessarily resonate with me. But guess what? I look to the end of the pew and it's resonating with somebody else. And you know what? I should humble myself and realize, hey, you know what? I'm glad we sang this song. And the truth is, is that Jesus left this model and He was obedient unto death. And we should be as well. The third thing is the accomplishment of unity is that Christ is exalted. We see here in verse number 9, it says, Therefore, 
So we've just read about how that Jesus took on the form of a servant. We, we just read about how that he himself humbled himself even to the death of the cross. And then it says, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory, now listen to this, to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was willing to go through what He went through, because Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, God has exalted Him. And what was the result of Jesus being exalted? It was to the glory of God the Father. We read at the very end of the book of Matthew how that Jesus stands up and He says, all power has been given unto Me. It was almost like His coronation speech. He says, I am the King. But you know what? He had to go to a cross before He could make the statements that He made at the end of Matthew. All authority had been given to Him. But you know what? He had been exalted because He first humbled Himself. What is our part in that? In verse number 12, it begins to tell us. It says, therefore. So we see another therefore. Okay, just because what you read. Okay, just because Jesus has been highly exalted. Just because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He says, hey, look. If you'll unite together, this is what you can accomplish. You can accomplish and you can fulfill the purpose of God. That's what we're all about. We don't want unity for the sake of unity. It would be pointless. But the truth is, is that when we unite together, we accomplish the purposes of God. Now, a lot of people look at this here and they talk about how that we're supposed to work out our own salvation. And this isn't talking about you have to work to have salvation or you have to work to try to um, receive salvation. But what it's saying is, is, hey, look, this Christ that we just spoke about that has been highly exalted because he first humbled himself. Guess what? If he lives within you and me, then he should be our model. And the truth is, is that the salvation that is within it in us should work itself out and it should be evident to others. And as he continues here, he says this in verse number 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the We're supposed to be the light of the world. And he says, hey, look, this is what you're unifying. This is what unity, this is what you being humble, this is what you being a servant 
falls out to. He said, you'll shine like stars. The truth is, is our community around us, we should be fulfilling the purpose of God here in our community. We should be fulfilling the purpose of God in our state, in our nation, in our world. We should be trying to exemplify Christ to them. And the truth is, is when we unify together, we will shine like stars to the glory of God the Father. We'll reflect Him. Leslie Flynn and his book. He wrote a book. This is a, I, I, this is a, this is a terrible thing that he could feel that this whole book could be filled with this. But it, it had a title that was named "The Great Church Fights," and he quotes a story from a Welsh newspaper about a church that was looking for a new pastor. This is what that newspaper wrote. It said, "Yesterday, the two opposition groups both sent ministers to the pulpit." Both spoke simultaneously, each trying to shout above the other. Both called for hymns and the congregation sang too, each side by side trying to drown out the other. Then the groups began shouting at each other. Bibles were raised in anger. The Sunday morning service turned into bedlam. Through it all, two preachers continued to outshout each other with their sermons. Eventually, a deacon called a policeman. Two came in and began shouting for the congregation to quiet. They advised the 40 persons in the church to return home. The rivals filed out, still arguing. According to the paper, last night, one of the group called a Let's Be Friends meeting. It broke up. In an argument. The newspaper article was headlined. Here's the headline that was on the newspaper the next day about the church that was in the community. The title of the article was Hallelujah, Two Jacks and One Pulpit. It's comical, except for the fact that it's terrible. They had a testimony in their community, but it wasn't one that shined like a star. And it wasn't one that exemplified and brought about the glory of God. That should challenge us. In our community, are we known for being a people that are united? Are we known for being a people that have the same love and the same spirit? Are we known for a people that are a gospel people that are united around the gospel of Christ? That brings us to the last thing in verses 16 through 18. We see number four, the reward for unity is gladness and rejoicing. In verse number 16 it says, As you hold firmly to the word of life, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
See, the truth is, is that unity, if we can maintain unity amongst us, then we have the reward of gladness and rejoicing. We'll have gladness. First of all, the Apostle Paul mentions the day of Christ. One day, the reality is is that we will all stand before Christ. And the Apostle Paul knew that if they could be united around the Gospel of Christ, and if they exemplified Christ, and they shined like stars, then guess what? He said, when we stand before Christ, He said, we'll be happy. We'll be able to rejoice. And then He says this. He tells them this. He says, hey, look, in verse number 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. Paul says, hey, look, I may have to sacrifice everything. I may be literally required to pour out my life. He said, but it's okay. I'll be able to rejoice in you. And he said, and hopefully you can be glad and rejoice in me. You know, if you look at the many documentaries, if you're a sports fan at all and you watch sports and you see the championship games and at the end of the games you see where the team gets to hoist up the trophy, they hold the trophy up in in the air or they kiss the trophy or whatever they do with the trophy afterwards, they're rejoicing and they're glad. But I've never watched a ball game or a documentary about a team that won a championship and they interviewed them afterwards and they said, you know what? It just, you know, we just started winning all these games once we got division in our locker room. I mean, once we just started going in every different direction, things just fell in place and we started winning ball games. No, they never said that. But what I've heard over and over and over again, they said, hey, you know what? There was just something about our locker room this year and there was something about how that we just united together and when we'd come out on the field or we'd go out on the court or we'd do this or we'd do that, you know what? We were just, we were just a unit and we were united. And you know what? I've been able to watch over and over and over again in my life as they celebrate and as they high-five, and as they hug, and they do all those things. You know what they were doing? They were rejoicing in one another. And and rejoicing in what they were able to accomplish. Poplar Springs Baptist Church. Let's strive to be united. Let's strive to connect inward. You thought that was so important that you included that in our vision statement. Let me encourage you. Let's unite one with another. Let's have that fellowship that the Apostle Paul talks about here. And let's have a testimony in the world of a people that unites around the Gospel of Christ. And the reality is, if we have that fellowship and we have that unity, then I promise you, we'll be able to rejoice in each other. And also, when we stand before Christ, we'll be glad we did so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth in which we've seen this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you call your people to unity. And Lord, the thing that unites us is the gospel of Christ. The thing, Lord, that is set before us as our example is Christ himself. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and serve one another. And Lord, as we do this and as we unite, may we be stars that shine to the community around us. And Lord, may all of this fall out to the glory of God the Father. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. So glad to see you in the house of the Lord today as you're leaving this morning. I know that Matt's out there. You'll want to speak to him also. Um, as you're leaving, you'll see some men in the hallways to give your offerings, or there are places uh, in the uh, as you're going out the doors, a little black box on the uh, door uh, on the wall there that you can do. And let me tell you why that is important. Because not only does your giving, not only does your giving keep the lights on here, not only does it keep the air conditioning on here, but it helps to spread the gospel of Christ throughout this world. This past week at the Southern Baptist Convention, 64 new missionaries were commissioned and sent out. That's because of your giving that that is possible. So remember that as you leave here. And also, I'd just like to say that giving is as much a part of worship as anything else we do. Let's stand together. You pray for our pastor and his uh, wife and family as they are away on vacation this week. The rest of us will be here, so if you need us, give us a call. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today to be challenged to think, to be challenged to do, to be challenged to live in a way that is pleasing in your sight, in unity. Lord, I pray that our church, your church, will be known as a church of unity in days to come more than ever before and that we will truly shine like stars. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for our fathers. We thank you for this day and pray that you'll give us all a great day as we celebrate them and the goodness of the Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.